Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. Welcome everybody back to our Wednesday night Bible study. We are, as I hope all of you know, unless you're visiting, uh, we are making our way through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, and last week, or two weeks ago, uh, we finished up Matthew chapter 5, so we are one-third of the way through it. Now, uh, tonight we're going to be looking at four verses, uh, uh, Matthew uh, chapter 6. Verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, and the title is, You Can't Get Paid Twice. Now, uh, tonight we uh, come into a new section of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, as most of you know, I hope, I've mentioned this several times, but the, 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 the chapters and verses that we have in our modern Bibles were, of course, not in the original uh, Gospels or wasn't in the original epistles or any of the original scriptures the uh, chapters were added in the 12th century and the verses were added I believe in 1551 and I'm glad to have them Uh, can you imagine not having chapters and verses what would we do the preacher would get up and say well turn to Romans and go about the fourth page and look about a third down on the right and that's where we're gonna start that would be kind of weird right so uh, it's nice to have them and the guys that put them in Sometimes they did a terrible job, but sometimes they did a good job. And, and I bring that up because in chapter 6, where they decided to put the chapter delineation, they made the right decision because Jesus is certainly uh, kind of changing the subject a little bit, as you will see here tonight. Now, there's a few things I want to talk about this chapter before we get into the verses. And the first thing is this, he is still talking to us. And when I say us, I mean Christians. I mean born-again believers in Jesus Christ. Now, why do I say that? Well, the reason I say that is because 11 times in this chapter, he's going to use the word Father, okay? 11 times in this, in this chapter. And what that tells us is that he's talking to people who have the right to call God their Father, And as I said two weeks ago, that's not everybody. You hear that all the time. We're all children of God. No, we're not. The Bible is very clear. John chapter 1. The only people who are children of God, the only people who have the right to call God Father is those who have believed in Him and who have received Him. So that's it, right? So we know here... When he says, your father, and he's going to say this tonight, he's going to say it 11 times, your father, he's talking about children of God. He's talking to born-again believers in Jesus Christ. Now, with that said, Christians, you ain't going to like what he's got to say in this chapter. I'm just going to be straight up honest with you. He's going to say some things that you are, it's going to get down to the deepest part of, of who you are. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. I'll just talk about myself, uh, but I'm sure most of you are the same. Have, have you found that in your life, I know I find this in mine, that it is so easy for me to see fault 
in other people, and yet I'm, in, I'm blind to that same fault in my own life. Just blind to it. It is so easy for me to look at somebody and say, wow, that person's greedy. But I don't never see myself as greedy. It is so easy for me to look at someone and say, that, man, that, they are really unthankful. But yet I cannot see it in my own life. That's just, there's something about us. It's just human nature. It's so easy to see it in other people, but we can't see it in ourselves. Now, here's the thing. Scripture will not allow us to get away with that. Okay? Scripture, you can think of it like a spiritual mirror. The same way we get up in the morning and we look in the mirror to see what we look like physically, that's what Scripture wants to do. It wants to hold a mirror up to your life so that you can see who you really and truly are. That's one of its purposes. Listen to James chapter 1, verses 23 to 24. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like that's what James is saying the word is a mirror that shows you what you look like not physically but spiritually it'll show you who you are in the deepest parts of your heart now here's the thing the vast majority of people refuse to do this the vast majority of people that are walking this planet never want to really and truly take a hard look at who they are on the inside. Just don't want to do it. They refuse to do it. Now you may say, why? Well, it's easy. Well, the answer is easy because it allows them to maintain the illusion that I'm a good person. I'm a good person. See, you're walking around, boy, he's greedy. She's, she's unthankful, but I'm a good person. Because you never really look hard at who you really are. And this is exactly what chapter 6 wants to do. It wants to hold a mirror up to us and ask us the question, what are your motives? Why do you do the things that you do? What's, what's behind all of it? This is what chapter 6 is all about. It's going to hold a mirror up to... Now remember, he's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to you and me. He wants us to look in this mirror of chapter 6 and see who we uh, really are. Now, let's put this chapter in a little bit of context before we move any further. Why does Jesus bring this up right now? Well, let's go back to chapter 5. If you were here for the last six months, and yes, it took us six months to go through chapter 5, but if you were here for chapter 5, you'll know that chapter 5 is a picture uh, of a Christian's character. It, it's a picture of an inner righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, which was just an outside righteousness. The Pharisees did all the things on the outside. They, they looked good, but on the inside, Jesus said, they were just hypocrites. They were full of dead men's bones. They were dirty, uh, like a dish or a cup that hadn't been, or a cup like it hadn't been washed. So the Christian's character is different. Our character starts on the inside. Our righteousness starts on the inside, and we spent all of chapter 5 looking at that where Jesus describes it. Now, let me say again what I said two weeks ago. Nobody completely meets God's standards. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody completely, perfectly meets the standards of the Sermon on the Mount. And as I said two weeks ago, that doesn't change the fact that perfection is the standard. If you didn't listen to that, go back and listen to it. God, do, God doesn't change His standards for us. 
Perfection is the standard. Now, we're never going to get there in this life, but our direction is the test of a Christian, right? We should always be moving in that direction. You see, if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, I hope you would agree that something of the character of the kingdom has got to be authentically resident in your life. You may not be uh, perfectly merciful, but you're certainly going to have mercy growing in your heart. You're not going to be perfectly loving, but you are certainly going to have love growing in your heart. As Christians, what we should see as the days go by and the months go by and the years go by is the bad stuff, the anger and the lust and the desire for revenge and retaliation. Those things should be diminishing in our life. Are they still there? Sure. We're not perfect. But they should be getting less and less and less. And agape love, the, the love of choice, choosing to, to, to love other people, that should be growing in our heart and becoming more and more prevalent. Now, when that happens as a Christian, you've got this character, you've got mercy and love and these things growing inside of you. Now you've got to get out in the world and you've got to act it out. You've got to live it. You got to practice it. And by the way, you always will. Because your behavior always follows your beliefs. Your actions always follows your character. When those things are inside of you, they got to come out. They got to come out. If you're an angry person on the inside, guess what? You're going to be an angry person on the outside. But if you're a loving person, merciful person, kind person, gentle person, that stuff's growing on the inside, it's going to be the same way on the outside. This is what chapter 6 is talking about, actually living the Christian life, practicing your righteousness. And here, according to Jesus, is where it gets dangerous. Seems like an odd thing, right? He's talking to born-again believers. He's talking to people who have the character of the kingdom of God growing inside of them. And the first thing he says when he turns to chapter 6 is, Beware. Let's read verse 1. He says, beware, Christians. He's talking to us. Beware of practicing your righteousness. Now, notice what he says. You're a righteous person. There is a, a righteousness growing inside of you. The righteousness of Christ. Now, he says, beware of practicing that righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus here is warning us, each and every one of us, the, of the danger of hypocrisy. The, the fact that when we walk out and we begin to do these good deeds, when we be, begin to perform these righteous acts, Jesus said, beware, you need to look out because hypocrisy can so easily creep in. I'm reminded, I read a story one time about a shopping mall in China you can go Google this. This is, a, this is a real place. It's called the Low Wu Commercial City Mall. It's five stories tall. It's 500,000 square feet, and it is completely full of counterfeit goods. Everything in the whole place is counterfeit. Counterfeit Rolex, uh, counterfeit Chanel, counterfeit Gucci, or what all these other brands are. Completely counterfeit. And the, and the crazy thing is, is they say literally when they get in new merchandise, fights break out. That, that people will fight over fake stuff. I mean, how crazy is that? 
What, what kind of commentary is that on human beings when we value appearance more than reality? I mean, think about that. They don't care that it's not real. What they care about is that it looks real. Now, folks, listen. You and I are not immune to that. Just because you're a Christian, just because you've been born again, does not make you immune to that temptation. In fact, I would say as Christians, we are all tempted toward an outwardness in religion. We're all tempted to, to put on a show for other people. As, as one commentator said, we're all tempted to put our best goods in the window. When there's, and sometimes there may not be anything behind it, but we put the best out front that everybody can see. That's a temptation for every. We talk about people coming into church and we wear, how are you doing? I'm great. We put on a mask immediately, right? We, can't, we, 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 don't, we don't like to open up and show people that we might really be struggling, that we might really be having a hard time. We're all tempted to act better than maybe we really are or we really Feel. And this is Jesus' words. Watch what he says, the very first word. Beware. Beware. Now, I don't have to tell you what that word means, right? And, and, and I say it again. Beware, Christians. Beware, born-again believers. You need to be in a state of high alert in your spiritual life. You need to be like a guard on top of a wall watching out for the danger that's coming when you're a Christian. Beware of practicing your spiritual acts. You see, the fact is, as Christians, we've got this character growing inside of us. We go out into the world and we start wanting to do things. It's as much as, it's as natural as breathing. We want to act like Christians. We want to perform righteous acts. And as soon as we start to do that, danger awaits. It is so tempting to begin to do those things to please other people so that other people can see us, so that other people can pat us on the back. That's the temptation that Jesus is warning of us. It reminds me of a quote which I titled tonight by Charles Spurgeon. He said this, you can't be paid twice. What does he mean by that? Well, let's go look at verse 1 again. Jesus said, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. You see, there's the dichotomy that he sets up right there. Beware of who you're trying to please. Are you trying to please other people? Or are you trying to please your Father? Is it about other people? Or is it about God? You can't get paid twice. If you want to please other people and you want the applause of men, that's your reward. Be satisfied with that because that's all you're ever going to get. Or you can please God, but you can't be paid twice. You're only going to get paid once. You see, this is the foundational question that's going to be all throughout chapter 6. Whose approval are you really seeking? I mean, it takes a hard look, folks. I'm going to be honest with you. And I'll say something at the end. I'm not sure. Sometimes I'm not even sure I can tell. But that's what Jesus wants us to do, to look deep inside of us. Why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Why am I going to church? Why do I go out of my way to be there on a Wednesday night when most everybody else ain't? 
Why am I putting so much time and effort into studying and preparing and teaching and preaching and doing? Why are we doing? Why am I doing those things? This is the question that he wants us to ask. And again, I'll say it. You will not be paid twice. You want the applause of men? Be satisfied with that because that's all you're ever going to get. You will not receive a reward from God. Now, I want to say a few things, just four things about that verse before we move into uh, verses uh, 2 through 4. First of all, let me say it's not easy. How many of you can would agree that the Christian life is a balancing act. You ever notice that the Christian life is a balancing act? Let me give you uh, let me give you uh, two scriptures. These are both from the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter five, verse sixteen, Jesus said this: "You are the light of the world." Right? He said this in the same way: Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And then now in verse chapter 6, verse 1, he says this, but look out, beware of practicing your righteousness in front of other people. When you give, give in secret. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> which one is it? Do you want me to do it in front of people or do you want me to do it in secret? Do you want me to let my light shine or do you want me to, which one is it? It's a balancing act, folks. It's not always easy. This is remember we talked about this so many times. This is not a, 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 a this is about the, the the spirit behind the words, behind the command. It's not a it's not a law in the sense that I always do everything in front of everybody, or it's not a law in the sense that I always do everything in secret. There's a balance. And remember, it's really easy if you look at it. What is this all about? What's your motives? Why are you doing the things that you do? Look at verse uh, chapter 5, verse 16 again. Let your light shine before men so they see your good works and God gets the glory. But beware of doing your works before men so that you get the glory. See, there's the difference. It might be the same work. It might be giving or preaching or teaching or fasting or, or tithing or, or serving or doing. It's the same work. One person's doing it so somebody will say, wow, man, you are awesome. What a great Christian you are. They're doing it so they get the glory. The other person's doing it so that God gets the glory. It's all about our motives. Why are we doing the things that we do? The second thing I want to point out about that verse is that it might not be obvious, but it's, this is really about self versus God. When you first read that verse, it says, be careful of doing your work before other people, right? For the applause of men, so to speak. Be careful of that. You might think that the choice is between pleasing men and pleasing God, but it's really not. That's not what is play, at play here. What's, play here is, what's at play here is self versus God. The fact is, you've got to ask yourself, why do I need the applause of men? Why do I need men to tell me how great I am and how spiritual I am and how wonderful I am? Why do I need that? Because it makes me feel good, right? It's all about me. It's all about making me. It's all about self-gratification. And by the way, that is not the righteousness of God. That is self-righteousness. And God will never reward self righteousness so at the end of the day it it really is about me and it's about him who takes precedence 
in your life. Number three, the third thing this verse tells us is that we are always in the presence of God. Listen, what if we woke up every day? I think if most of us, you know, I've heard of people going in, they'll write something on the mirror, you know, so that's the first thing they see. What if the first thing you reminded yourself of every day is that when I walk out of here today, every thought, every action, every word, every imagination of my heart is going to be done under the eyes of God. He's going to see everything I do today. Remind ourselves of that every day. Everything I'm doing, He's watching. We are always in His sight. He sees everything. As I said, word, deed, thought, imagination, action, doesn't matter. He sees every aspect of it. Listen, we can deceive others. Sometimes that's actually pretty easy to do. But you cannot deceive God. He knows what you're doing. He knows the motives. He sees every little thing, every thought and imagination of the heart. Let me read 1 Corinthians 4, 5. This is Paul cautioning, cautioning us about judging too early. He says this, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes, some translations say, the motives of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. There's coming a day where Pastor Henry and myself and you, you're going to stand in everything you do, everything you've done, will be judged based on the motives of your heart. He sees it every day. You cannot deceive him. The fourth thing I want to talk about before moving on, and that is rewards. Now, I don't know if it bothers you, but there I have run into people over the years who seem to be bothered with the concept of rewards. They would say something like, and these are normally... Spiritual people, right? (laughs) This is what a spiritual person might say. Well, we really don't need to. We shouldn't be working motivated by rewards. Jesus died for us on the cross. Look what he look what he how he loved us. I should just I should be thankful for that. I should serve him because of that. I shouldn't be motivated by some promise of rewards. Now, that sounds really spiritual. But it's not. So I want to ask and answer that question tonight. Is it wrong for you and I to be motivated by rewards? Let me just make it clear. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In fact, the way I know this is because Jesus had no problem with it whatsoever. In fact, he's the one that keeps bringing it up again and again and again and again. Just in the Sermon on the Mount. If you just look at the Gospel of Matthew, go back to Matthew 5, 11 through 12. Remember the Beatitudes. He says, uh, uh, blessed are the persecuted. He goes on to say, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. You'll see it again in Matthew 5, 12. Again in Matthew 5, 46. It's all over chapter 6. Verses 1, 2, 4, 5, 6, 16, and 18. He talks about your reward, your reward, your reward. Matthew chapter 10, 41 and 42. And then finally in Matthew 16, 27, he says this, For the Son of Man 
is going to come in his father's glory with his angels and he will reward each person according to what they have done. Jesus talks about rewards all the time. So here's the thing. If we say that it's wrong to be motivated by rewards, then we're basically saying Jesus is wrong for offering us rewards. Because that's certainly what he's doing. He's, try, he's motivating us. He's encouraging us. Hey, there's rewards on the other side. Keep working. Keep moving. Keep enduring. If we, we can sound all spiritual, and it does sound spiritual. But if you say it's wrong to be motivated by rewards, then you've got to say Jesus is wrong. And I'm certainly not willing to say that. In fact, it's just the opposite of spiritual. It actually contradicts Scripture which over and over again tries to motivate us with rewards. It's all over the Bible. In fact, if you go back and just look at a few case studies, you'll find that the great men of faith in the Bible have always been motivated by what awaits them on the other side. Let me just give you one scripture, Hebrews eleven twenty six, talking about Moses, said this, He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. What did Paul say? I press forward for the prize of the high calling of, of God in Christ Jesus. Even Jesus himself, it says this, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. I, I, I can't even imagine. I mean, have you ever noticed it's just in us? It's almost like we're designed to work towards something. Have you ever noticed that? We're designed that way. I, I can't imagine going through life and just thinking, there's not even imagining something on the other side, not work. I mean, it's, we're, we're made that way. And men of faith have always been motivated by that. And let me, if that doesn't quite get it, let me give you a quick illustration. And I'll just call this whose idea was it. Let's say my grandchildren come over to my house and uh, I offer them some money to help me with a job. Let's say, for example, uh, raking leaves. And I say, if y'all help me, I'll give you, I'll give you 50 bucks, right? Um, now think about this. Is it wrong for them to grab that rake and get out there and start raking? Would you consider that wrong? I, I mean, I wouldn't. I want them to desire it. I want to teach them that there are rewards on the other end when you endure and you persevere and you get a job done. I'm the one offering to it to them as motivation. Now, let me say this. It would certainly be wrong if they demanded a reward. That would be wrong, right? If they came in and said, if they came in and said, Pop, uh, give us $50 and we'll do this, right? That, that wouldn't be quite right. They ought to be willing to do it regardless. But the fact of the matter is, I'm the one who's offered the reward. And I can tell you as a grandfather and as a father, it would be my joy when they've completed that job, it is my joy to reward them. Listen, in the same way, God is offering us rewards. He didn't have to. He never had to do that. He actually made that choice. And it's his idea to tie rewards into our stewardship. As I said earlier, that's how he designed us. And let me tell you, on that day, it will be his joy to give you the reward. So I'm certainly not going to sit here and, and say, well, I, I don't think we should be motivated. No, let it motivate you, whatever it takes to endure, to fight, to press, to push. 
Let it motivate you. Now, let me say one thing about rewards, and then I'll get off the subject because this is important. This is not about salvation. It's not about salvation. I'm going to give you two scriptures. The first one is the definitive scripture, I think, when it comes to this, and that's 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. Listen to what Paul says. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. By the way, that's salvation. That's what he's talking about. Nobody can get saved other than through faith in Jesus Christ. Nobody can lay a foundation of salvation on anything else other than Jesus Christ. That is salvation. Now, watch what he says. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work. Now, notice what he's saying. You're a Christian. You've been saved through faith. Now you build. You start working. That's what the gold, the hay, all of that thing. He's talking about works. He's talking about what I'm doing right now, what some of you do. Uh, in this body of believers or outside in the community, you're performing righteous acts of some, one, some, of some kind of another. You're building on the, sound, on the foundation that was a free gift to you. And Paul says, there's coming a day when each one's work will become manifest. It'll become known for the day of judgment. We'll disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire, which represents judgment, will test what sort of work you've done. Now, I'll just use myself as an example. I teach, right? Now, one day, I'll be judged. And I'll be judged based on my motives. And the fact is, I can teach for years and years and years and put hours and hours and hours into this. And if I'm doing it for the wrong motives, if I'm doing it to please you. The fact is, it's just wood, hay, and, stru- and, and stubble, and it'll be burned up. I'll get no reward for it at all. But if I'm doing it to please Him, if I'm doing it because I love Him, if I'm doing it because I want to glorify Him, that's gold, that's silver, that's precious jewels. Those will stand. Paul says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. But listen, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. Because you, again, you're building on the foundation. Maybe you had some wrong motives. Maybe you're doing some things, but the fact is, he says, if you're building on the foundation of Jesus Christ, you're still saved. So this is not about salvation. This is about rewards that he will give those on the other side. By the way, Matthew 6, 1, this is exactly what Jesus is saying. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from who? Your daddy, child of God. You'll have no reward, child of God. You'll still get to heaven. You'll still see him. You'll still be with him, but you will receive no reward. Reward. All right, let's move forward. Let's go to verse 2. In verse 1, Jesus has laid down a, a general principle that's going to guide us all through chapter 6. It's very simple. Now what he's going to do, he's going to give us some illustrations of some actual righteous acts. Now he's going to cover two areas, the religious and the mundane. 
See, the fact is, as Christians, we have religious things that we do. We give, we pray, we fast, we, we do different, we, we witness, we give our testimony, we do things like that. But there are also the mundane stuff that we do. We have to, we have to worry about money or, or deal with money. We, things like that, right? He's going to deal, so deal with some religious illustrations and he's going to also deal with just some mundane illustrations from life. Now, let's start with the religious. Now, to a Jew in that day, the Jews believed there were three great cardinal works or three great pillars uh, of a religious life that every devout person should do, and that is give, pray, and fast. Those are the three great works of Judaism. Give, pray, and fast. And the number one, by far, was giving. Go read the Old Testament. It tells over and over, it told them, give, take care of the stranger, give to the needy, give to the poor, over and over and over again. So this is going to be Jesus' first illustration. Now, the act itself, he, he doesn't, it's not about the act at all. In fact, he's not going to say don't give. In fact, what he's going to do is he's going to say when you give. But he's going to say there's a wrong way to do it and there's a right way to do it. Now, here's the wrong way. Let's read verse 2. He says, thus, when you give. Now, notice uh, he's talking to Christians, right? And he's, and he's, who are children of God. So he doesn't say if you give. He just takes it as a matter of fact that a Christian is going to be a giver because their daddy is a giver. If you're a child of God, you're going to be a giver. So he says this, When you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. In that day, they, they, they say, some articles I've read say that beggars would congregate at the door of the synagogue in the local towns even to this day when people are have when people are going down the road and they need money or they need gas or they need food where do they come they come to the church well beggars in that day were the same they knew people going into the synagogue would give to them so they would congregate at the door of the synagogue others would be out in the streets and jesus is saying when you give to the needy don't make a big show of it like a hypocrite does blowing a trumpet or saying, hey, you know, look at me before I give. Make sure somebody's looking at you so they can see that you're doing it. Don't do it so that you may be praised by others. Truly, Jesus said, they've received their reward. If you're doing it to be seen by other people, enjoy the applause. Enjoy the, the praise because that's all you're ever going to get. God is not going to reward you because of the motive of your heart. And again, this is the whole motive. Notice their reason for doing it is they want other people to see them. They want people to say, wow, that's a good person. Look how great they are. Look how generous they are. And as Jesus said, that's all the reward they're ever going to get. Now, he turns to the next two verses, and this is how to give the right way. Okay? Verses 3 and 4. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret, secret will reward you. Now, there are two things here. One of them is very obvious and the other one is not so obvious. So here's the obvious one. Jesus said when you give, don't announce what you're doing 
to other people. Don't make a big deal about it, right? Now, that's, that's obvious what he's saying. Don't, don't, don't make a big deal about it. Now, that shouldn't be hard, by the way. I mean, does anybody here like a, like a braggart? I mean, does anything turn anybody off other than somebody saying, look at me? Nobody likes that. That should be easy. But let me tell you, we do have to fight against it in very subtle ways. I don't think there's probably anybody here that would blow a trumpet or anybody here that would say, hey, look at me. But the fact is we do tend to do it in very subtle ways. Now, here's the not obvious. Jesus said, when you give, don't announce it to other people. But then he says, don't even announce it to yourself. Okay, let's read that verse again. He says, and this is an odd saying, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, I don't know about you, but that's impossible, right? I'm a person. I got one brain that has one thought at a time, and I can't keep one side of my brain from knowing what the other side of my brain is doing. That makes no sense at all. It's an impossibility. So what does Jesus mean? Well, He's doing what he's done in other parts of the sermon. He's using something called hyperbole. And hyperbole is when you say something that's an obvious exaggeration or it's, a, it's, a, it's an overstatement. You go, you go above board. It's like, remember the examples I used? It's saying, um, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, well, somebody will say, uh, you know, this, this, this load weighs a million pounds. Well, they don't mean it literally weighs a million pounds. They just mean it's really heavy, right? That's hyperbole. And you, you use that form of speech. We do it all the time to get a point across, okay? And this is his point. Don't pat yourself on the back. It's not enough not to just let everybody else know what you're doing. Don't do that. But he said... Don't do it to yourself either. Don't, don't pat yourself on the back. See, what he's telling us is you shouldn't pride yourself or admire yourself for what you've done. In other words, not having announced it to the world, don't go over and pull out your little spiritual ledger and make a note, boy. Look what I did today. I'm a good person. He, he saw that. A lot of us do that, don't we? We make a note. He's saying, don't do that. Don't just announce it, not announce it to other people. Don't announce it to yourself. You see, the fact is, when you do that, you just become a Pharisee again. Do, do you not remember the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector that Jesus tells? They both go into the temple. And the Pharisee goes off by himself. He's not, a, he's not saying anything to anybody else. He's talking to God and he says this, God, I thank you I'm not, like a, I'm not like them. You see, the fact is when you're making them little notes, when you're putting it in your account, in your little spiritual ledger, you're basically saying, man, I'm a good person. I'm not like them. Jesus said, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Listen, you can let others pat you on the back or you can do it yourself. Either way, it's self-gratification. Let me say that again. You can get your gratification from other people or you can get it from yourself. But it's still self-gratification. You're doing it to make yourself feel good. You're not doing it for the glory of God. And 
That is what Jesus is saying. Don't keep ledgers. Don't keep a, a profit loss, a good, bad account in your life. Just do it and move on. Just do it and forget about it. Now, I don't know about you, but that ain't easy. That is not easy. In fact, some might say it's impossible. It's not, but I'll tell you there's only one way. And that is to keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. That is to make Him such a big part of your life on a daily basis that there ain't no room for self. It's about remembering that everything I do, as Scooter and I were talking today, John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. Every righteous act I ever perform owes to Him. Without Him, I wouldn't be doing anything. I'd be lost in my sins. That's the only way you can do it. You, you give, thanks for the opportunity, you move on. You don't sit there and pat yourself on the back. or No, you just move on, go to the next one. Let Him keep up with it. Let Him keep the ledgers. By the way, He is keeping a ledger. And He always pays. God always pays. He may not pay today. But let me tell you, He's going to pay. He's keeping the ledgers. He's keep, let him worry about that kind of stuff. I'll close with this. A few weeks ago, Kathy and I did something for somebody, and we did it in secret. Even the person that we did it for had no idea that we did it. And I won't tell you what it is. It doesn't really matter. But here's this thing. We did it, and we did it in secret. And, but I noticed the next week, that I wanted to tell somebody so bad. I really wanted to tell somebody so bad. Now, why do I tell you that? Because I want you to know I ain't got it all figured out. I ain't got it all figured out. Sometimes I look inside and I'm thinking, what, what is my motive? I don't even know. I'm just doing the best I can. I'm just going to keep pushing and boxing and fighting and pressing and enduring, trying to become a better man and a better Christian and, and more like Jesus, but I don't have it all figured out. Sometimes I don't know. So we take lessons like this. We do the very best we can. And yes, we're going to fall. We're not going to reach perfection, but we get up the next day. We remind ourselves it's all about Him. And we do it again let's pray father we love you we thank you for this incredible sermon that you preached two thousand years ago that's as still as real today the words are as as jarring and as forceful today as they were on that mountainside then you're still searching and probing and convicting today the same way that i'm sure those those people felt it on that day god help us as a church, to practice our righteousness, not before men, but before you. As Pastor Henry said a few weeks ago, remind us that we serve an audience of one, just one. It's all about you. I thank you for the opportunities to do good. I thank you for the opportunities to practice our righteousness. God, help me to do it right, though. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to fill our lives with so much of Jesus that there's not any room left for self. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we are Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, 
please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.